laugh and fear not, creatures. Now that you are no longer dumb and witless, you need not always be grave. For jokes, as well as justice, come with speech. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by the one and only Clive Staples Lewis. I'm Kel. I'm Chase. And thank you so much for joining us this beautiful day. Hopefully it's a beautiful day wherever you're at. Uh, Just a reminder that we are talking about the magician's nephew today, but general spoiler warning for the entire Narnia series, uh, as well as a heads up that, uh, you know, if you haven't listened to any of our podcasts before, that we will talk about other things uh, in pop culture, but we'll try to give a general spoiler warning if it's something that deserves it. Uh, But today we are going to be discussing chapter 10 of the magician's nephew, the first joke and other matters. Other matters indeed. All right, so in this chapter, the children realize that it was the great lion who just spoke. And, and suddenly out of the woods come just this whole host of other beings, wood gods and goddesses, fawns, dwarves, a river god and his naiad daughters, all the creatures and beasts and birds respond to the lion saying, Hail, Aslan, we hear and obey. We are awake, we love, we think, we speak, we know. And Aslan gives them Narnia and tells them to steward their privilege as talking beasts well, lest they turn back into the normal, dumber animals who can't speak. And in unison, everyone says, no, Aslan, we won't, we won't. But then one of the birds shouts out, no fear, right after everyone else had finished saying their piece. And the bird, a jackdaw, or I think that's a type of crow, uh, he's embarrassed, hits his head under his wing, and as many of the other creatures kind of make noises like laughter. But Aslan tells them, hey, it's okay to laugh. Uh, the gift of speaking doesn't mean they have to be serious all the time. And so they let loose in laughter. And the jackdaw asks, Aslan, did I make the first joke? Will I go down in history having made the first joke? And Aslan says, no, you are the first joke, which is a great joke. Uh, Aslan then pulls a handful of creatures aside to explain to them the situation with the evil having already entered Narnia. Uh, Meanwhile, Diggory and Polly determine they have to go talk to Aslan, thinking that he might have something to help Diggory's mom with her sickness. The animals are baffled by the children. Like, what in the name of Aslan are these? Are they large lettuce? Are they the second joke? Uh, who knows? But they're in a hurry. So the cabbie points out that he and Strawberry have met before. And, and Strawberry's struggling to remember this. It's all a blur before Aslan woke them up. But he does vaguely remember being whipped and pulling a cart. Um, and But he also remembers oats and sugar cubes and good things. But all in all, Strawberry agrees to give Diggory a ride over to Aslan. And now... We turn to Uncle Andrew, who had a different view of everything that just went down. Because from the beginning, he heard the singing. But when he saw the lion, it th- that didn't make sense. Like, lions don't sing. So he convinced himself that it was just roaring like a normal lion would in a zoo. And he continued to convince himself until he could no longer hear anything other than animal noises. And this became a problem when all the animals noticed him and because Aslan told them evil had entered the world, but 
they don't know what evil is. So they keep calling it Nevil or Weevil. But they chase down Uncle Andrew thinking that he's whatever that is. On top of that, he doesn't understand that they're talking when they go up to ask him, like, are you an animal, a vegetable, mineral? Like, what's going on here? And that is where the chapter comes to an end. Excellent. That's so good. Uh, The theme of this chapter is personality because there's a lot of personality in these creatures. We get to see the personalities of horses and cab drivers and lions and all these things. And so uh, it's important to start out there. Uh, Chase, I thought it was, so it's interesting to me. So chapter starts off and it's like, of course, the, you know, it was the lion's voice that the children had heard and it was lovely and a terrible shock. And immediately after he speaks, uh, it, they, all the creatures say, hail Aslan, we hear and obey. Now, as we addressed last podcast, uh, up until this point, he's been known as the lion. Somehow these guys just know who Aslan is. Like, this seems like, is this like inherent knowledge or? I mean, it seems like, I'm really confused about the knowledge piece because even Strawberry points it out. We know, but we don't know much. And like, I'm confused about the whole language thing because Mm. for people, the only things that currently talk here on earth, as far as like regular Uh, speech. I believe you're, you're forgetting about our dear friend, the parrot, but I, I did think about that, but as the name entails, a parrot is just parroting. They're, they're are we not like are speaking. we not are we not just parroting things that we've also heard at some point in our past? I mean, that is to a certain extent where I'm going with that is like we learn speech through acquisition. Like sure. we acquire speech over time. Like no baby is born already with a full vocabulary, and it takes a lifetime to develop the whole vocabulary you're going to have. So the fact that they already know all these words, let alone the name of the person you get, like I'm, I'm just so curious about where, where the line is on that because they don't know the true. word evil. Like they, they don't know the word evil, but they know the word Aslan and they know hail and they know all this stuff. Right. And they, I, they know a lot of things. It's, it is interesting to think about why is their knowledge so expansive but also so limited uh is it like i don't remember what they were specifically called but like is there a certain level of vocabulary like grade school wise that they go mm-hmm. is it like grade four vocabulary and then after that they've got to figure it out themselves i don't know i'm pretty sure i, I heard one of the, the they talking all speak elephants English? Or, well <laughs> of course they do chase <laughs> this is this is a british guy writing they aren't speaking elephantese uh, or something like that. Although I'm pretty sure one of the elephants or cheetahs or something like that was definitely reading some Shakespeare just for fun. Uh, At least something that's more uh, inclusive about this book than say like Tolkien. Mm-hmm. At least there is one non-white character listed so far. Black Panther. Oh my gosh. I There's assume also... it's King T'Challa, but you know. Hey, R.I.P. Uh, there's also, you know, on that same note in comparison, we've already got like several female characters, which, uh, which John Ronald Rule has also, uh, you know, forgotten to include in his, uh, in his masterpieces. I mean, 
at least there are female characters that have names that they don't pass the Bechtel test, though. They, I have yet to see one where it's two female characters talking to each other, not about a man. So it's not a feminist text, but it's at least better than Sharon Tolkien. <laughs> hey, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I'm sure, you know, maybe behind the scenes, uh, the witch and uh, Polly or the witch and uh, the, you know, Diggory's aunt were, were chatting about something. Who knows? Uh, evil magic. Uh, you know, who knows? Or it could have been about how bad Uncle Andrew was, which would have failed the test. But wait, Polly, did Polly, when she was talking to her mom, talk about Diggory or did she just, she just say about she went to the, in park. the park? So boom, it passed the it test. Passes the be- this is a feminist text. Feminist boom. icon C.S. Lewis. <laughs> repping it since the mid 1900s let's go uh okay okay well, <laughs> i think getting back to the original point though that is a good point i have no idea how they know uh any of these words let alone aslan's name but i'm glad we do finally know for sure it's it's been confirmed this is aslan yeah. Oh, for sure. And I want to talk about Aslan for a sec real quick, because this is our first time getting to see his personality, as the theme suggests. And it's really interesting because he's obviously very regal. He's obviously very majestic. He is uh, a creature fit for ruling. Uh, but then he he says, creatures, I give you your or I give you yourselves. Said the strong, happy voice of Aslan. I give you forever this land of Narnia. I give you the woods, the fruits, the rivers. I give you the stars and I give you myself which is really cool. Uh, it's a very generous and joyful section. You see, like, he's gladly giving up all of these things and gladly giving up himself something that he will do in sacrificial ways uh, later on in the series. But it's just really cool that one of the aspects of his personality is this gracious, joyful generosity. Yeah, yeah for sure. Man. And then, oh, go for it. Oh, if, if you've got more on that topic. Nope. All right. One thing I do wonder about. So when he says all these things, they respond in all the beginning stuff. All these non-animal people just kind of emerge from the woods. Oh, yeah. They what just kind of, they, they what kind of happened like, there? Yeah, Where did they know. come from? Because all the animals, if you remember from They were circled around, yeah. Yeah, they were, they were born out of earth bubbles. Yes, as that's what I was taught where animals and babies come from. That, yeah, true, true. Uh, But yeah, all the animals were born from earth bubbles. But so fawns and gods and goddesses and satyrs and dwarves, where, what is different about them where they aren't? Like, I'm I'm so confused there. Because also like, how are we defining gods and goddesses? Like, how are we like, I would imagine that that probably means more like, like spirits, nymphs, things like that. Well, Uh, if I learned anything from the Prince Caspian movie, it's that mm. there's a big water guy living in the river. And man, if there's stuff that you're learning from the Prince Caspian movie, then you're not in great shape here. I mean, it is the only thing I remember from that movie as a whole. There other than a, other than that one Switchfoot song, This Is Home, that's all I remember. Pretty sure there's a guy named Prince Caspian, but... Doesn't ring a bell. 
doesn't ring a bell. Who? <laughs> seems, seems unlikely. Uh, seems questionable here. Yeah. No, he very much just skates by the fact that there's just these random, like, mythological creatures. He's like, oh, yeah, there's all these animals circling around. Circling around. Oh, yeah, also fawns, satyrs, naiads, dwarves, whatever. It's cool. But and none of them here. play any role in all the other stuff that's coming, like, next chapter. But, nope. yeah, I, nope. I was really confused by that, like, how they're different from the other animals. Like, how were they created? The, they were maybe also in earth bubbles, but this these were in the woods as opposed yeah. to the hills. Okay, the so. wood earth bubbles. Sure, sure. Except for uh, the water nymphs, in which case they were born water in bubble. water bubbles. Yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. obviously. Uh, so, following immediately after this, right? So Aslan is giving all these people, all all of these creatures, all these whatever. Uh, all he's giving them everything, uh, and then he proceeds to give them just a straight up smackdown even like particularly he gives the jackdaw which is a crow as you mentioned uh man he just he's so savage is this poor little jackdaw everyone he's like uh hey guys you know don't you know don't forsake this gift i've given you and they're like we won't and then the jackdaw does what all of us do occasionally when we're singing a song and he just sings at the wrong moment or he you know speaks a little bit louder when everyone gets quiet and he's a little embarrassed and this would have been a great time for gracious, generous Aslan to be like, hey, dude, it's cool. We all make mistakes. But instead, he's like, hey, everyone, laugh at this stupid crow. What an <laughs> idiot he is. Uh, like, I and- mean, I love to see it, personally. <laughs> I thought it was great. <laughs> he may not be, you know, we, we've, we've referenced this before. He's a, he's a, he's not a, he's a, he's a tame, he's not a tame lion. He's, he's dangerous, but he's good. Apparently, Aslan, apparently not being tame, means he is a straight savage. He shows no mercy uh, because he's he, everyone's laughing. And he's like, hey, guys, jokes is great to go along with your speech. Like, jokes, jokes and justice will reign together. And then this little jackdaw's like, yo, did I make the first joke? And like he's like, no, little friend, you are the first joke. All of the animals circle around, waving their paws and hooves in front of their mouth, going like, that, oh, we did it. That's definitely super hot fire gif moment. Oh, right yeah. There. Oh, uh, for sure. Man, the real question here, was the first joke even that funny, though? Like, it, it, it like wasn't. It was more just like, oh, that poor guy. Like, yeah, it's the second joke was far better. Aslan, for sure. Aslan's joke was fire. Man, I do love the whole permission to laugh thing. That is um, true. Like I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit more later, but man, like knowing in a space like that, that you can let your shoulders down, like actually like let loose, don't have to walk on eggshells. Like real freedom is that like, yeah. and, and Aslan gives them permission. Like part of giving them himself means that they are free to, like relax and live and breathe. Mm-hmm. They don't have to tense up and get in line just because the king is there. Like, Absolutely. The king is in it with them. And that's a really cool thing. Like I've, I've been in spaces where I don't feel like I have permission to laugh or permission to be myself or permission to sure. just like have, have a good time or like, but Aslan doesn't rule that way. And that's, that's a cool, cool space. Yeah. Especially like from the guy who just created everything and formed you out of an earth bubble. Like that's a, it's a cool gift to give laughter and joy. Uh, and you know, I, I would normally feel a little bit worse for Jackdaw 
but he's also a crow. So I don't really feel that bad because yeah. crows, crows are gross. Suck. They, they suck. They're not great. Uh, and so and now comedy is part of Narnia's 10 commandments. As far as I can tell, I believe that that's, I mean, out of the things that he tells him to do, he's like, Hey, don't forget that I've made you like a wise talking animal and uh, laugh at others fortune or misfortune. So uh, it's literally like laughing at other people's problems is like probably in the first 20 words that he says to them. Indeed. Uh, and so, you know, we, we go from there and then he forms the council of Elrond or Aslan uh, with all of these, like a real random assortment. Like he had a lot of animals and apparently other creatures now too. And he brings together, the chief dwarf, which in this time frame from him singing, they've created a village uh, or a like hierarchy of dwarves somehow. Yeah. Okay. There's, there's definitely like a blood status system going on already. Yeah, like how in the world is there a chief dwarf? Whatever. There's a river god. Like, okay, cool. Uh, where did this come from? And you the oak. So he's just calling a tree. One of the ints is coming forth. Is it a specific oak? Is there only one oak in Narnia? He said, you oak. He's like, me? It's like, yeah, there ain't, I ain't see no other oaks over here. Uh, and so he you know, waddles his roots over, a he-owl, uh, and both the ravens. So the ravens get some special treatment. Uh, okay. Apparently Aslan's a Baltimore fan. Uh, but uh, and, and then a bull elephant. So that's what a random assortment of like creatures to make his, like, his council of wisdom. Uh, who knows? I, Just why not? Why not? I mean, if you're going to have anyone face evil, why not have the Ravens do it? The Ravens, uh, you know, they've got a solid defense. Um, Lamar Jackson's been a little spotty this year, but, you know, I believe that he's got the talent. Uh, I mean, if I learned anything from Game of Thrones, they're really good for getting messages across the world in like 10 minutes. Hey, Ravens are apparently incredibly intelligent. So that is something. whether or not it's worth anything here, who knows? But so this is his council, uh, and they're talking about finding an evil, an evil, an evil, an evil, a weevil, one of those things. And once they all are having this discussion on on what this could be, Diggory gets back to his primary uh, goal for even wanting to, you know, go to these other worlds, which is looking after his mom. He wants to find. Uh, a magical thing and uh we get back to this this heart you know of what he's actually trying to do and all the girls said oh no sweet sweet diggory yeah if only I, you hadn't awakened a witch and brought her to narnia to kill everyone yeah we'll deal with that next chapter <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i do think it's interesting with that the fact that diggory and polly just kind of assume that aslan will help them like it yeah. does say something about what they think about him that they just assume like, oh, well, that's someone who we can trust and ask mm-hmm. things of. Or like, I mean, almost to a certain extent, like go and make demands of. Like Diggory is just going to say like, hey, give me something that I want. Thanks. Yeah, um, I think I think that's super interesting, especially when you consider – what's later going to be said um c.s lewis will write for what you see and hear depends a good deal on where you're standing it also depends on what sort of person you are and he's saying this as that he's about to discuss uncle andrew uh which we'll get to in a little bit but i think it really shows that like hey when you're coming into narnia with this purity this innocence this 
um, you know, faithfulness that Aslan is, is a good benevolent God. You know, he's not just angry. He's not a menacing lion, though. He is terrifying. He's scary. He's a big lion. He's also good. And you can recognize that goodness. Whereas uncle Andrew is going to be like, what are they doing? Like they're just, you know, about to approach a, approach a lion. That's foolishness. And so I, I think you're right on the money there. Yeah. Now, do you, do you want to talk about any of the willful ignorance stuff here? Or do you want to say, so I'm going to save if you, if you would like to talk about that some, I'm going to talk about the little bit up in my further up and further in. So if you've got something there, uh, I mean, I don't it. have much. I just had it as a note, but so I'll let you take that. I will point out though, that he does go like full uh, princess bride narrator again, just being like, we must now go back a bit and explain what the whole scene had looked like from uncle Andrew's point of view. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just keeping on your, uh, your narration. Yeah, now he's 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 there, man. Before we get to Uncle Andrew, I want to talk to Cabby and Strawberry real quick. Cabby's yeah. still unnamed at this point, um, but they go back and forth because Strawberry is now a talking horse, and uh, you know they want to go see Aslan, and so they're like, "Hey, like let's convince Strawberry to go take us over there." And Strawberry's like, "Who are you?" He's like, "You don't remember me?" He's uh, like, "No." Nah. Uh, and they go, they have probably this back the best from the sound of it, probably for the best. Like honestly. You know, Cabby has to this point has been a dear favorite character of mine so far, and he will continue to be so. But he's he's showing some real cab driver privilege here, some real human privilege. Uh, because he's like, Hey, I did all of these things for you. I fed you, I you know, had a stable for you. Uh, and then Strawberry's like, Oh, I remember I was like your slave. Uh and he was like, he's like, No, 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 no. Like I, you know, I you know, we we were it was a partnership. And he's like, Yeah, but like I was your slave to like help earn money for you. It's like, yeah, but I paid for your meals. And like, and he's like, yeah, but I did all the work. And he's like, yeah, but London sucks. And then strawberry is like, you're right. London does suck. And then they're best friends again. Yeah. That's uh, where they leave it. They don't they, press into any of that. They, Cause like, honestly, I was reading this and I was like, Oh man, like uncle Andrew or like, uh, not uncle Andrew, Cabby is like, it's not looking great here. And I'll talk about that a little bit more later. But they just kind of skirt over this this whole thing real quickly. Yeah, uh, it's it's a tough look because I mean, it it really is part of what is kind of some of the genius of this set of chapters is C.S. Lewis writing from the perspective of animals, and and this is not only a feminist text but a PETA-approved text. I mean, the whole like before his time, like not not just letting it slide that like, Oh, like you should be my slave or like you should have to do this and not be held accountable for it. Um, that is a really creative and interesting part of this chapter. Like, Absolutely. We have to, like we have to wrestle with it as the readers of like, Oh, like, yeah, animals may not like the way that we do things because yeah. we're the ones in charge. Right. And I mean, there's definitely arguments to be had about like how to respond to that like line of thinking, sure. but it's worth having the line of thinking, and it's really interesting to hear it coming from a horse's mouth, literally, literally from straight from the horse's mouth. But so all that to say, they you know Strawberry agrees to give Diggory and the crew a ride over to Aslan, and then 
we cut to Uncle Andrew to get his perspective. And as we mentioned earlier, he is uh, he is seeing things from a very different perspective. Uh, as you mentioned in the uh, in the summary earlier, that when he's hearing this song and he sees that the singer's a lion, he goes, "Ah, oh, that's just a lion. Lions don't sing." And so he immediately forgets it. He's obviously never seen the Lion King, uh, or else he would know that lions do indeed sing. Uh, there are like several movies made on this subject alone, uh, yeah. and so great you know, documentaries. Great documentaries. He's clearly in the wrong here but he has convinced himself that uh you know this is just a lion and lions are doing what lions do they roar they hang out uh real real tough look it's a it's a cold take from him yeah it's it's not a good time and i do think it's uh and like without getting into the willful ignorance stuff like just the idea that lewis puts out there that what you see and hear depends on what sort of person you are. Absolutely. Like what an interesting, like ethical philosophical line just to drop into the middle of this children's story. Like we've just got a crowd of talking animals and also your perception and reality is shaped by the kind of person you are on the inside. Like, and now let's get back to that out there. Oh yeah. Now some fun, fun conversations with this. Let's go, let's go, let's go roast on the crow again. That was fun. Y'all remember that? No, like it really is, man. I mean, without getting into anything specific, because I feel like both ends of the spectrum could agree with this. Like, it is 2020, it's an election year, and so much of reality and perceptions of news and truth are shaped by where people kind of stand ethically, like morally on certain Absolutely. Issues. Yeah. And so the way you see the news and the headlines and like the way people are responding is so fully shaped by by what perspective you're coming from on that front. Mm-hmm. It, it really just had that ring of truth that Honestly, C.S. Lewis is so good at doing. I'm just like dropping a really, really like true, thoughtful statement mm-hmm. to the middle of a story. I mean, it's why people love the Harry Potter books and like every time Dumbledore opens his mouth because it's mm. the same sort of thing. Just here, it's the narrator. Right. And it's so cool that he does that in a children's book because from this stance, you could say like, oh, like, like he, because he's comparing Uncle Andrew to diggory polly and mccabby in this circumstance where they're all you know amazed and he is terrified uh where it's like yeah you know your perspective is going to shape who you are and uh and or it's going to be shaped by who you are and where you're from and all these things and uh with the kids and mccabby they're coming in with innocence and with purity and with you know thoughtfulness and they're excited to be there and so they obviously see aslan as this like majestic ruler and they see all the animals being able to talk and they're perceptive and so it's like yes they are good therefore they can perceive goodness and perceive magic in the good way uh, and then with uncle andrew it's like he is bad therefore he can he perceives things through this filter of negativity uh, and so it's like communicating such a nuanced topic to kids is really cool yeah and it is interesting even to take it to the extent of like young versus old but also like man like adventurous and imaginative versus jaded Mm because like that is like where diggory and polly and the cabbie all stand together is all of them are open to imagination and faith and 
like life and joy, whereas Uncle oh, Andrew yeah. is just so self-centered and Dude. so focused on, man, how is this going to inconvenience me? Yeah, that he doesn't have eyes to see the life that's happening around him, whereas Absolutely. they have eyes that are open to the adventure. And yeah. I mean, speaking of his self-centeredness, right, he'll go on, he'll, it, it, when we switch to his perspective, it talks about how, you know, the animals start running after him because they think that he's this nevil or weevil or whatever. And he sees this and he's terrified, but he sees them going after the lion. And he says, now those brutes will eat the, the rings along with the children and I'll never be able to get home again. What a selfish little boy that Diggory is. And the others are just as bad. If they want to throw away their own lives, that's their business. But what about me? They don't seem to think of that. No one thinks of me. Poor Uncle Andrew. I, you, really, you really empathize with him here. What a poor guy. He really is just a victim of just unfortunate circumstances that are outside of his control. Yeah. Uh, How wish... could these kids do that to him? Honestly, I... Mean... I I feel they bad. Showed up in his attic and just took his rings and then dragged him. him into this. Oh gosh, bullies, brutes. Yeah. Like I, you know, honestly, I think we owe Uncle Andrew an apology. We've you know we've been yeah. pretty hard on him in this podcast, and I don't know if we really think seen things from his perspective, Chase. That's uh, true. That's you know, true. Think about Why? his his livelihood. And someone's got to. Someone's got to. Well, I mean, he. We know he is. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course he is. Of course he is. But yeah, and with all this to say, like he is so focused on on himself, on you know, all these things that are going wrong. He's first concerned with the rings that could get him home, not with the fact that his nephew, not with the fact that children and innocent people could get eaten by a lion. If he is actually concerned that this is a lion, should he not be more concerned that they could eat his like his his family? These children? Yeah. Now, I know it's like early 1900s in this story. Mm -hmm. Is there no accountability structure for if a bunch of children go missing out of one man's house? It's it's a fair question to ask. Uh, I I know the police officers are really easy to knock down with a metal pole, but... Sure, uh, sure. Well, it helps when you're seven feet tall. True, true. Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I don't know, like, the the ministry safe policies uh, back in 1900 or if there were any or if they were just like, oh, man, like, few kids got eaten by a lion. That's an inconvenience. Uh, you know, who I, I can't really say, but that's a great question. Because you'd think, even back then, it it wouldn't go unnoticed if they just disappeared. Like... Because this is not the first time that Uncle Andrew has not been concerned with the idea of them dying. This is true. And it's also not the first time that they've disappeared in the span of like a day from Uncle Andrew's presence. Like, this is multiple times that they've taken a trip into into another reality. Yeah, but we'll find out, at least in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that that's only like two minutes in our world maybe like i mean the wardrobe who knows i mean with the rings it's the wardrobe is because polly's mom was very aware that she was gone she was somewhere you know and so yeah. i've got to got to think that time is time may not be working the way that they think it is right now. 
but who knows? So all of that to say, poor Uncle Andrew. He deserves our pity and our empathy. We, I, I just wish that someone cared for him. And the good news is that someone does care. They at least care enough to ask the real important questions, like this bulldog who asks, Sir, are you an animal, vegetable, or a mineral? As if it would be very difficult to determine this. Yeah, I mean, we already, we established earlier in the chapter that it's possible that the children are just giant lettuce. So I think it's a fair question. Um, It's it's semi-fair. Oh, another thing. We find out that Uncle Andrew is also grubby in this chapter. That's true, we do. It's a family resemblance for sure. It's confirmed. Uh, I, it's confirmed their family is just kind of dirty all the time. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's just London, like, rubbing off on them. But who knows? Yeah, I mean, uh, I promise every, every movie do. I've seen from that era or, like, portraying that era, people just have, like... A little like grime. Grease just kind of on their face for no reason. This is true. So it could be, could be. Um, to the knowledge of the animals, and this is my last thing before, um, uh, last thing that I got, is just the, we go, we, we talked about the knowledge of the animals earlier. They are clearly animals, like, and they have knowledge of what they do as animals. And we'll see in later chapters that they, they do things that animals do. Like elephants are going to go and use their trunk for water. And uh, like, they will, they have this awareness. If an animal is moved, if something that you see is moving and makes noise and has run away, I think that immediately immediately eliminates it from being a vegetable or a mineral. I've never seen, in my experience, anything that moves and speaks in some form to be anything other than a, like an animal. I mean, not to spoil the next chapter too much, but we do determine that he is a tree. So <laughs> they, they took a vote. So, but we'll talk about it's, that. It's a democracy. Um, but yeah, it's a magical world. The Oak tree could walk. So why not uncle Andrew? You raised the valid point with the Oak tree. I didn't consider the fact that they had ants in this world. Uh, so I maybe. Mean, yeah, it, it seems right. It seems right. Chase, you got anything else before we head further up and further in? I mean, only that in your notes you wrote UA talking about Uncle Andrew is so dumb, but UA also stands for the University of Alabama, where I currently work around a lot of students, and I resonated with the statement before I realized that it was talking about Uncle Andrew. Sorry to any of my friends in Bama that listen to this podcast. Hey, if we have any uh, Bama fans here, I have nothing against you other than the fact that you beat us in the national championship in 2009, and I'm still a little bitter about it. But I mean, they do show it on the Longhorn Network like every other day. So, to be fair, they I like I'd rather watch the other you know two clips that they show on the Longhorn Network, which is Vince Young running through the end zone and Justin Tucker kicking it through the uprights. I'd much rather see those clips a hundred times and they still are kind of annoying to me, but I definitely saw one of those earlier today. 
this is the this is the media bubble that we live in as Longhorn fans. Our perception is really determined by our proximity to the Longhorn Network. Yeah, it's who we are. It's who we are. Um, but yeah, but yeah so we, let's go been, further up and further in. We've been so we. I'll I'll start us here because we've been kind of dancing around this subject for a bit. Um, but my my further up and further in is about willful ignorance. And so for me, oftentimes in life, I think when we don't want to see how bad something really is, or we don't really want to see the truth of a certain subject, we can either intentionally or unintentionally blind ourselves to that reality. So we'll start with Cabby and the Strawberry, right? Uh, where they're talking and, and the cabbie is very unaware of the fact that, you know, he's been treating this animal as a slave because in our world, you know, we would have seen like, Hey, a, a horse drawn carriage. That's just normal. That's what horses do. But now once you've given this animal autonomy and you get like this animal has given uh, freedom of intelligence here uh, and has been given a you know so-called spirit of some sort uh, blessed by Aslan that, it's now above these things. He's, you know, it's it's speaking from this perspective, uh, and so the cabbie hasn't even considered this reality, and and is speaking from this place of ignorance, uh, of not recognizing that, you know, hey, like I've done the things that like I should do with a horse. Like I put you in a stable, I fed you, you pulled a cart, you worked for me, but then I, you know, used my money to keep providing warmth and a stable and like food for you. Like, is that not what you want? Um, and like, obviously with a intelligent being now, that's not what it wants, but this takes a different turn when you look at uncle Andrew and everything that he is willfully ignorant of everything. He's willfully ignorant and has made himself quote unquote stupider. Uh, you know, that that one of the things that CS Lewis says is now the trouble about trying to make yourself stupider than you really are is that you very often succeed. And uncle Andrew did. Uh, and that's a, a thing for me where it's like, Uncle Andrew does not want to see magic, which is ironic considering that he is the magician in the titular story here. Uh, He is the one that got them into this circumstance and has been dabbling with magic, but he doesn't want to see it. He doesn't want to see it because it's not his making. He realizes how powerless he is. He doesn't like it. He is a wicked man. And so this goodness is not what he wants to see. And so he chooses to see them as animals. He chooses to see the lion as just a lion. He chooses to hear the song as just a roar. He chooses to ignore these things. And he chooses to even forget about the peril that his immediate family is in and these children are in because it's inconvenience to him. And so he ha- he is willfully ignorant. It's not just that he doesn't know. It's that he's choosing not to know. Uh, and so it's a it's an interesting concept and it's this, idea that C.S. Lewis is really putting in front of us, uh, which is a, it's something that happens in our reality quite a lot. Yeah. Willful ignorance is a moral category. Right. Cool. So my further up and further in, um, I mean, has to do with the fact that Aslan's got jokes, um, but really about the fact that it, it does matter what kind of king Aslan is and, and what kind of personality he has. It's significant that he's in on the joke, gives permission for joking, opens the door for that kind of freedom. I'm, I'm going to put on my pastor hat for a minute, so sorry to anyone who isn't a Christian, but I, it is relevant to the topic. There's a saying in Christianity that 
what you think of God or what you think of Jesus is the most important thing about you. And usually when people say that, they're talking about reverence and whether you believe God is powerful and in charge. But what bugs me, though, is that those people rarely apply that to whether they think God is good and kind and accessible. And my suspicion is that most Christians would not think that God is like Aslan in this scene. They would not think that he would give permission or join in to the joking. They view God as only serious, not joyful or approachable. And just like it's a danger to forget the reverence that we should have toward him, it is a danger to forget that he is kind and good and joy-filled as well. Otherwise, we make him into a benevolent despot rather than a loving father. All of that, I think, is wrapped up in the line for jokes as well as justice come in with speech. Aslan is the kind of king they can enjoy, not just serve. And what that that's what makes him so great. Like that's why we're excited to see him come into the story when the sun rose at the creation of Narnia. Like because we actually like Aslan. And and I think we should stop and be reminded that that's one of the gifts of this character. Like C.S. Lewis could have easily written Aslan as good but not particularly likable. Like he could have easily made him just kind of the cold like mechanical like thus saith, here's the rules, here's what it's supposed to be, what I say is law, kind of king. Instead, we get a king with personality, personhood, like agency, where he is actually going in among the creatures he's created, interacting with them, enjoying them, giving himself to them. He's the good king that they can trust and go to. Right on. Well, Chase... The animals have seen us running off screaming. They're heading our way, and they're ready to ask if this podcast is an animal, a vegetable, a mineral, or something else. And as we contemplate that answer, I think it's time that we close out. Uh, and I think it, it's a mineral. It, it's closest, I think. Um, but we, uh, so if you are listening, we'd love for you to go, uh, you know, Find us wherever you find podcasts. Uh, if this is your first time joining us, uh, please go rate and review us. Give us a five-star rating. It really helps out. Follow us on Instagram uh, at the Chronicles of Podcast. Uh, and go like us, like our page, follow us. Make sure that you keep up to date with what we're doing. Uh, and we'd love to continue sharing uh, this journey with y'all. I think we're, we're a little bit uh, more than halfway done with this book. And so uh, we'll just keep trucking through. I'm hey, now dude. currently the only person in my family who is not engaged. So, like, actively engaged. Not even just married, just engaged. Yeah. It's a good time. Sounds like it. <laughs>